Good morning, everyone. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Yes, it's been six weeks since we celebrated Easter Sunday, and yet it's still Easter in the Christian church as we continue to celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This is the sixth Sunday of Easter. And actually, we have one more Sunday of Easter. That's next Sunday. And in between this coming Thursday, we have the festival in the church known as Ascension Day, and I'll talk a little bit about that in my message, but also uh, in the Bible study at 11 a.m. We'll be focusing on the Ascension of our Lord. Welcome, everybody, to our worship service. I'm Pastor Glenn Schaefer of St. James Lutheran Church. I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing the bell ring as we were called to worship, and also Beth's playing of some of the songs that we'll be singing today as we praise our Lord. We're going to be following the as usual, the bulletin, the order of service that's printed on our, on our website at stjamesgr.com. If you don't have it, you may want to hop over there on your... The first reading for this, the sixth Sunday of Easter, is from Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 16. And here Paul is speaking to the people in Athens, and he assures them, or he preaches, that Christ is risen from the dead. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and his resurrection. And they took hold of him, and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these, these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling of hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising Jesus from the dead. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 3, and this will also serve as the basis for my message this morning. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was also being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is now at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I, alleluia, alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In this uh, Gospel reading for today, Jesus assures his disciples that he will send the Holy Spirit to them, that he himself will abide with them even after he ascends into the glories of heaven, that they will not be orphans. And the promise Jesus makes to the disciples in his day is the same promise he makes to you and me today. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is, as I mentioned before, taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. But at this time, I'd like to highlight these following verses. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness 
and respect. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, dear fellow believers in him. There's a Chinese parable. Maybe you've heard a version of it before. But the parable goes like this. There was a poor man who had a son. And they lived in an abandoned fort. And one day, the horse that they owned, that they depended on to haul vegetables to the town, their sole means of support ran away. When the neighbors heard about the horse running away, they went to the old man and they expressed their sympathy. Oh, too bad, they said. Well, how do you know it's bad? The old man responded. The horse returned and brought back 12 wild horses. The neighbor said, well, this is good. And he said, well, how do you know that this is good? When my son tried to tame the horses, he broke his leg. Oh, that's bad, they said, very bad. Well, how do you know that? The old man replies. Shortly afterward, a war broke out, and because my son was laid up, he did not have to go to the front to fight. You see, looking at individual events through a microscopic lens can be very misleading. It doesn't necessarily show us the whole picture, does it? No setback, no loss, no suffering really stands alone. Good, bad, bad, good, good, bad. There's always seemingly another chapter that follows. I mean, don't we say hindsight is 20-20? And isn't that because hindsight tends to kind of have us step back from everything? And it gives us an opportunity to look at events maybe a little bit more objectively and with a little bit more reflection. And we begin to see that, that maybe the ripple effects of that individual event or series of events actually not only had bad things that happened or that resulted, but also there were good things that came out of it as well. COVID-19, well, that's the news of the day, isn't it? All day, all night. COVID-19 has become the unwanted squatter in our homes in every mind. It's so imminent, it's so in our face that it's near impossible to, to actually get a perspective on it other than that it's bad. And it is bad. I mean, just ask those who are grieving the death of loved ones. Just ask those who have lingering medical issues after they have recovered from COVID-19. Just ask the people who've been waiting for two months or more for a much-needed medical procedure and who are still waiting Just ask the nurses and the doctors who are weary and exhausted and who are depressed and despondent because of the mounting deaths despite all of their efforts. Just ask the many owners who are now having to post going out of business signs on their their stores or on their businesses. Just ask the 36.5 million Americans who have filed a claim for unemployment insurance. Yes, just ask. Ask any number of one of us, and we will no doubt give you a litany of all of the bad things that we're experiencing because of COVID-19. And is there any wonder that more and more people are experiencing mental, mental issues, mental health issues? Is it any wonder that frustration and anger is beginning to boil over? Is it any wonder that people are groping in the dark for anything that will give them hope that will give them a brighter future, that will give them something good to hang on to during this miserable situation. And be honest, if it 
were not the coronavirus, there'd probably be some other virus or there'd be some other doomsday scenario on the horizon that would cause us the same kind of consternation. Honestly, there's a a hundred or more unforeseen calamities that would take you and me down at any moment. That's the way of life on a planet that is cursed by sin. But in these catastrophic misfortunes and miserable predicaments, we as Christians have a hope, a hope that is anchored and secure. Our hope is in a person, in a person who died and descended to hell and then rose from the dead. Our hope is in an ascended king to whom angels and authorities and powers submit. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Sin is why all physical and spiritual misery exists in this world. The Bible tells us that creation groans and writhes as if in labor. All of humanity moans and wails under the curse of sin. Life's futility without the Lord is expressed by Solomon's lament in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. All is meaningless. What good does a man gain by all of his toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth Well, it remains forever. Maybe you have found yourself issuing a similar kind of lament over the last couple of months. Vanity of vanities, all seems meaningless. What is the purpose of all of this? Yes, even Christians die in pandemics. Christians perish in house fires and car crashes and wars. Christians have their life savings extorted and their businesses also go out of, out, of, out of business. Christians are also fired and laid off. Christians also have chronic illnesses and terminal diseases. But unlike a person who does not believe in Jesus, Christians trust that the pain experienced in life's hardships is purifying. It's not punitive. The flood that St. Peter references in our text was punitive. It was punitive for the people who perished. But for Noah and the other seven members of his family who were in the ark, the waters actually had salvific power. Noah and his family, they batted down the hatches and they rode out the storm, trusting in the promise that God had given to them that he would spare them. Peter says in our text, in the ark, there were only a few people, eight in all, but they were saved through water. What really struck me as I was focusing in on these verses in preparation for this sermon was that this tragedy that was punitive for really the whole human race, with the exception of the eight, that, that this tragedy, this water was used in a punitive way for some, But for Noah and his family, it was a way of rescuing them. It was a way of purifying them, keeping them stronger with the Lord. And it struck me that that's how it is with many things that go on in our life. And if we look back in the Old Testament times, we'll see that Joseph 
maybe you don't know the story of Joseph, but Joseph was one of 12 sons, and, and Joseph was envied and, uh, by his brothers. In fact, they were jealous of him, and he was kind of his dad's favorite child, if you know what I mean. And so his brothers, in their jealousy, sold him into slavery. And then he was purchased, and he was then, I won't go into all of the details, but then he was falsely accused. And then because he was falsely accused of something he didn't do, he was put in prison. But eventually he ascends to a, most, to a very powerful position in Egypt. And as occasion would have it, or as God kind of led the events, his brothers eventually come to Joseph, now in Egypt, where he is second in command, and he has an opportunity to provide for his brothers. And then after his father dies, his brothers come to him because they're afraid that Joseph might actually punish them for having sold him many years earlier into slavery. And what does Joseph say to them? He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, many a person would have seen that event as something that was bad, and they would have looked for ways to seek revenge upon the brothers who had done that to them. But instead, Joseph took that trial in his life, and he turned it into good, or he realized that God could turn it into good. That was his hope. In the Old Testament, we read of the Israelites who who were rescued from their slavery in Egypt and taken to the promised land. And during that, that journey from Egypt to Israel, to the promised land, many of them failed the test that God put them to. In fact, almost all of them failed the test. They grumbled and they complained about what God was giving them in their life. Oh, they even longed to go back to Egypt and live under slavery. It had to be better than what they were experiencing out in the wilderness. And God grew so tired of their grumbling and their complaining that he eventually just said, look, all of you are going to perish in this wilderness with the exception of two men, Caleb and Joseph. And sure enough, that's why they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years was so that that generation of people who grumbled and moaned and complained could die, never entering the promised land. But Caleb and Joseph... Well, they did. Went through similar situations, didn't they, all of those people? Some trusted and hoped in the Lord. Most, they didn't. Then even as we look into the New Testament, we see that Judas, well, his, his betrayal ended in his suicide. Peter's denial leads him to a lifetime of determined service to the Lord. Over the years, I've had opportunity, and no doubt you have too, to to read stories about people who went through the Holocaust. And there will be some stories that you read about people who will say, as a result of the Holocaust, they would, they would conclude that there is absolutely no way there could, be ever, there could never be a God. And then there are other people who survived the Holocaust who would say, I don't know how I would have survived it had not been for God. You read stories about people who experience all kinds of tragedy in life and maybe even say, as a result of an accident, become a paraplegic, uh, a quadriplegic. And some who suffer such a, an accident in life will go, oh, my life is over. Give me medically assisted death. And meanwhile, there will be others who have gone through something kind of similar and who are also quadriplegic, and they will say, how can I glorify God in my predicament? Now, the truth is that even those who get to that positive perspective 
who can see how God can take a bad situation and turn it for good, that, that doesn't happen overnight. I mean, there may be many nights where, where there's weeping as we try to come to terms with what it is that we're experiencing in our life. We may even fist, shake our fist at God in anger, wondering how it is that God, a God of love, could ever do something like this to us. We might spend a lot of time in repentance and saying, please forgive me, Lord, for even thinking the thoughts that I've thought. We might spend a lot of time wrestling with God in prayer. And we might spend a lot of time just focusing on Jesus. On the one who died for us, the one who descended to hell, the one who rose from the dead, the one who ascended into the glories of heaven, to whom all angels, authorities, and powers submit. And as we go through that time, through that struggle, the Lord ministers to us. He purifies us. And he assures us that we're going through these things not because he's punishing us, but he's testing the genuineness of our faith. That's what St. Paul or St. Peter writes in the first chapter of this epistle when he says, and we've looked at this verse before in the last couple weeks, but there St. Peter writes, but for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that you're so that the, the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you're receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, that is our hope. Our hope is that as we go through these trials and tribulations that the Lord is using them to to purify us, to strengthen us in our faith so that we would not despair and turn away from Him, but that instead we would focus our minds and hearts on the One who loves us and who we love, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's as we go through those times that that we set our mind on those things above, as Paul says to the Colossians, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And we know that Jesus Christ... The one who died for us loves us and is with us and that he will ultimately deliver us. So many people go through this life without that understanding. So many people go through life not even preparing themselves for the fact that one day they will stand before the Lord and have to give an account of how they lived and why they lived the life that they did. It's interesting, Jesus also references Noah. He references Noah in relationship to being prepared for, the, for his return, for his second coming. Jesus says in Matthew 24, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And right up to the day, Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Tragically, many people, like the people in the days of Noah, go through life oblivious to the fact that their sin and living outside of God's boundaries is loathsome to God and angers Him with damning consequences. For many people, life just goes on. They eat, they sleep, they work, they vacation, 
They do whatever feels good and right to them. And then they hit the repeat button. They do it the next day and the next day and the next day. And they live their life as though there is no God. They're living life on their own terms. And what better terms can there be but living life on my own terms, right? Well, pandemics and famines and health-related challenges, trials and tribulations and afflictions, whatever they may be, are used by God to wake us up. They're used to wake us up and to see the ugliness of sin and the devastating effects and consequences that sin has on us and on this world. And in many cases, these trials and tribulations, these afflictions that we go through, like what we're going through maybe even right now, God uses them to stir us up, to seek Him, to repent of our sin, to recognize our sin, and to rely on God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and to anticipate future glory, eternal life, something that many of us haven't given much thought to over the last few years. See, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are confident that we will not perish, that we will not be punished for our sin. Because, Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us, to bring you and me to God. See, as we go through this life and we deal with the consequences of our sin, our own, the sin that we commit and the, and the consequences of sin because of the corruption of this planet on which we live, as we go through all of this, we do this understanding that in Christ, all sin is forgiven. All the consequences of sin have been overcome when Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sin. And it was there on the cross that he bound Satan, if you will, it was there on the cross that he overcame the shackles of sin that, that hold us all in prison, so to speak. It was there on the cross that he announced to us that in him we do have forgiveness in the eyes of our God. In fact, he brings us to God. And in our text, Peter reminds us that one of those ways in which, God, in which Christ brings us to God is through baptism. Peter writes, in this water, the flood waters, they symbolize baptism that also now saves you. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, enduring its curse and shame, and, but he has done so that he can bring us to God, and indeed he does. He, I'm pointing over to our baptismal font right now. There in our baptismal font is where God brings us, where Christ brings us the treasures and the blessings that he has won for us on the cross. It's there that we meet God, so to speak, or more importantly, God meets us. And he assures us that our sins are washed away, that we're children in his family, and that we have this promise of everlasting life. And this is our hope. This is what we cling to when we're going through the trials and tribulations of life, when we're going through pandemics, and we wonder whether or not God really loves us or cares about us or even has any interest in us. It's there that we remember our baptism because we may be thinking, God is punishing me for something. 
But our baptism assures us that no, our sins are forgiven, that all is right with God because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. But not only did Jesus Christ die on the cross, but he also even descended into hell, not to suffer, but to proclaim victory, to announce to those spirits in prison, as it says in our text, to announce to them that he had indeed conquered sin and the devil and death once and for all, that they no longer had any reason to hold us in their grip, for he had set us free. He had set us free. And then he rose from the dead, and he announced that victory to his disciples. And then we're told he ascended into the glories of heaven, and that's what we'll be celebrating this coming Thursday, is Ascension Day, that day that Jesus Christ ascended into the glories of heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and where he rules and reigns for all eternity. And if there's one thing that we can learn from the Ascension Day, it's this, that Christ is in control. That is our hope. And we can trust him that he's in control because we know what kind of savior he is. And because he's in control, he will get us through whatever it is that we face. He has promised us that he will be with us until the very end of the age. He has promised us that he will walk with us through the valleys of the shadow of death. He will not leave us. He will He will not abandon us, but instead he will take us by the hand, he will hold, he will guard and protect us along our life's journey way. Nothing in all of creation can separate him from us. And that's why St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Yes, we go through light, and they don't seem so light when we're going through them, and momentary troubles. They don't seem like they're momentary. They seem like they're troubles that last forever. But they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And as we go through these times, we fix our eyes on what is not seen. We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on Him, for He is the victorious and triumphant one. We fix our eyes on Him because we know that what we're experiencing in life is temporary. But what we have in Christ is eternal. It's an eternal treasure that never perishes, spoils, or fades. It's being kept and guarded in heaven for us. This is our hope. This is the hope that we have as we go through things like pandemics. We have the hope that all of sin has been overcome through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have the hope that all of sin's consequences have been overwhelmed by Jesus' death and resurrection. We have the hope that just as Christ rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. We have the hope that Jesus, even as Jesus ascended into the glories of heaven, so we too will one day be received into the glories of everlasting life as well. That is our hope. And that is the hope that we share.
in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And as we go through this time of pandemic, as we experience the challenges of COVID-19, there are people who need this word of hope. And Jesus sends us to be that messenger, to proclaim to others that there is hope in the forgiveness of Christ on the cross for our sin. There is hope in Christ, even over death itself, where he is the resurrection and the life. There is hope in Christ who rules and reigns over all things, for he truly is in control. Earlier in this message, I stated that there's always another chapter to our life. There's the good, there's the bad, there's the tragedy, there's birth, there's death, and so on and so forth. But one day, our chapter in this life is going to come to an end. The book is going to close, but a new chapter will begin. A chapter of everlasting life spending eternity with our Lord. This is my hope. And I'm sure that this is your hope. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that he sends us to share. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.